Welcome. What's up, everybody? We are going to get started. This is a very super special episode of Beauty Behind the Brand Live. As you know, we keep it raw, real, unscripted, unfiltered, and uncut. Today's episode is not going to be any different than that, especially with the times that we're in. And yes, we're going to be talking about that. And I'm excited to share my guest with you today. But you know what time it is. Before we get into that, let's get this show on the road. What's up, everybody? This is your girl, K.L. Jones, creator and host of Beauty Behind the Brand Live. And I'm excited to introduce today's guest to you. Um, this woman, she's phenomenal. All of my guests are, so you shouldn't expect anything different today. But I'm really, really excited to have her here today. We actually moved some things around, so I appreciate her changing her schedule to accommodate my request to have her on here with us this evening. Before I introduce her, and this 15, 20 second intro video is just not going to do her any justice. I'm going to let you know that now. But before I introduce her and bring her on to this broadcast, I want you to drop your name in your city in the comments. If you're tuning in from Facebook, make sure that you share this out with everyone that you know. I expect to see shares on top of shares because we are about to get deep and raw. And everybody needs to be here for that, including your friends, your family, your aunties, your cousins, and all of them. All right. So without further ado, here we go. Nothing can stop a person who's determined to overcome the odds. Ebony in Mayo is the epitome of that type of determination. As an actress, activist, entrepreneur, and the creator of the Lux Cigar brand, Mayayo, Ebony is committed to serving those who are voiceless. All right, without further ado, please help me welcome my guest, the incredible, the ever so beautiful, the amazing Ebony in Mayo. What's up, girl? Hi, how are y'all doing? What is up? We are going to check in. We'll keep checking uh, the comments, but we're going to dig right in. So listen, unless you've been hiding under a rock, <laughs> you already know what's been going on. And I really struggled with whether or not I was going to continue with my schedule today and do this show. But I saw a couple of things that were very poignant and a great reminder for me to show up despite how I'm feeling. I'm not here to fake the funk. You're not gonna see your usual pomp and circumstance, but you are gonna get the real raw meat as always, right? But I mm -hmm. saw with uh, Issa Rae, and this was on Sunday, and you know, her hit show, Insecure, comes on HBO. Insecure. Mm -hmm. And I saw in one of her Instagram stories where um, someone on her team, they were doing their normal promo, but they made it a point to let their audience know, like, look, we feel really torn and conflicted about promoting anything right now. It almost feels tone deaf. Yeah. But they understood yeah. also that they have a responsibility, a platform and mm -hmm. amazing art and stories to tell that they hoped would be a great escape for many of us. Yeah, yeah. And I thought about that and I said, you know what? You're absolutely right because yes, we're enraged, we're angry, we're mm -hmm. hurt, we're distraught. We have all of these different emotions. Yeah, yeah. But we know that, that, that we, we can't stop being wives, moms, mm -hmm. daughters, sisters, servants, cousins, like whatever roles and titles mm -hmm. that we have over us in our day-to-day -day life, we still somehow have to pull ourselves together and mm -hmm. show up to fulfill those roles each and every day. 
And so sure. at the platform and the opportunity that I have with this series, this docu-series, and I was reminded of my mission and that is simple. It is to highlight the stories of incredibly brilliant women, <laughs> particularly black women, who yeah. in my opinion are hidden gems, but they're no less of a powerhouse than the ones we see in mainstream media or on social media, making the runs and everybody's you know, posting everything. I have a duty and a responsibility mm -hmm. and I've been blessed with the opportunity and platform to be able to highlight and spotlight women like you so that we can share those stories. So that's why we are here today for no other reason. I don't care about views, ratings, any of that. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's and I'm, I'm related to be here. Yes. So this is episode four entitled Born to Speak. And you're going to understand mm -hmm. why in a minute. All right. So without further ado, <laughs> let's welcome our guest, Ebony in Mayo. Woo! I see Hi, everybody. <laughs> so Ebony, talk to us. Where did you just come from? Um, well, I live in LA, of course, and me and the homeless organization, Brown Bag Lady, um, that I volunteer with, we all went downtown to LA to protest, um, not only to speak out against George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, but within LA specifically, our DA, Jackie Lacey, she has not held our police department accountable for the deaths of so many black people, male and female within LA. And so today the action step with Black Lives Matter and a host of activists and organizations were to go downtown at 3 p.m. and march in protest in front of City Hall to bring more awareness. And, and the beauty was is that it was a peaceful protest and it's still going on now. And uh, you saw people of all colors, all ages, um, you know, the police department stopped by and he had heard about us and. It's all right. We're going to He really appreciated what he, what we were for showing up and exercising your right. Yes, and exercising your right to speak out and to bring awareness to police brutality. And actually, in actuality, is really to police murders. <laughs> it's not brutality, it's murder. Yep. You know, and so that's where we're just now coming from. And it was a beautiful experience seeing everyone in unity um, on one accord. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what it's about. But even more importantly, and I said this in your promo video, and we're gonna get more into this. I don't want to make any assumptions. I want to ask you, aside from being a black woman, why is this work? Why is it important? Because there's lots of different ways, you know, let's face it, for us to be activists, right? To display our activism. So why was it important for you to go back out into the streets of LA where you often are serving. We, we see you serving it on Skid Row in LA, serving the homeless. So why was today important enough for you to get out there to raise more awareness? Why was it important for Ebony to use her voice to get out there today to bring a heightened sense of awareness to what's going on? Mm -hmm. I think it was important for me to get out there today because, um, you know, I can make a post, I can do a, do a poem, I can donate money, I can send emails, and, and all of which I have done. But until I personally go out and stand with our people and put myself in danger, put myself in harm's way, I think it, I think it speaks a little louder. You know, I, I think it speaks a little louder when you physically go out and, you know, not only stand behind your words behind a computer screen, mm -hmm. but physically stand behind your words, you know, and, and join with so many people and, and to feel that energy, you know, and to be on one accord. I think that's why I went out there. I know that's why I went out there. Yeah. I think it was important, you know, that I can certainly 
utilize my voice and 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 in support but i also wanted to physically be out there and show uh me being out there in support and, and i love that i love that and we're going to get into more about the importance of using your position your impact your influence your platform and your voice to be a voice for those who feel voiceless who feel unseen mm -hmm. and unheard so what what would you say is your mission during this time a week ago or a little over a week ago like the biggest thing let me let me not do that because i think it does an injustice to ahmaud arbery and brianna taylor for a minute mm -hmm. the biggest thing that we seem to have to worry about mm -hmm. was the coronavirus and COVID 19. and you and your colleagues your comrades with the brown bag lady organization still were getting out there mm -hmm. and serving serving the homeless community and we're going to talk sure. about the population of the homeless com community and who you see impacted the most um within la right mm -hmm. But what is your mission during this time? You know, honestly, the beautiful thing about a mission is that when it's something that you really believe in, it doesn't change. Mm -hmm. And so my mission is, and my mission has always been, has always been love myself, love God, and love people. Well, and that's, that's all I want to do. And what, what, let's take it a step further. What's your mission with what's going on right now? You know that you have, like you said, you and the incredible people who do phenomenal work through the Brown Bag Lady organization. What, what, what was the mission today? And what do you see your mission being going forward now that you've taken this step to say, listen, it's not enough for me to just post. It's not enough mm -hmm. for me to do it. Like all of those things matter and they're very, very important. And we all need to take part in doing that. But what, what's your mission in this moment going forward with um, stepping deeper into uh, your role of being an activist and, and really focusing on the race relations in this country right now? And more specifically, like you said, in LA County where so many brown and black people are being murdered senselessly by the police. Yeah, I think it's, you know, just continuing to do um, things that we've done today, you know, whether it's peacefully protesting, um, having a candid conversation with the police department, with our elected officials voting. You know, there were, what, nine states and, and as well as DC yesterday who had their primaries, you know, and shedding light on that and um, posting, you know, social media is a, a very viable asset in passing information, mm -hmm. um, you know, donating our money. And some people may not have the money to be able to give as much as they want to, but every little bit helps, yeah. you know. Um, so just continuing to bring awareness and not being silent, continuing to stay in a whole hand um, with the people who are, who are speaking out, because at the end of the day, he's not, they're not only black men or black women, they're mothers, they're fathers, they're, they're sisters, they're, they're brothers and, and daughters and sons and, and things like that. And so shedding light on this is not just a black man or a black woman that you're killing. This is a mother, this is a father, and it could be yours. You know, Miss um, Miss Mamie Till, Emmett Till's mother, she has this quote. She says that, I learned that the business of others ought to be the business of myself. And basically what that means is when her, when the blacks in the South were being killed because they lived in the North, they didn't, she didn't care. You know, oh, that's happening to them. That's happening down there. And we're up here that we're not affected by that. And it wasn't until her son, Emmett Till was murdered, that then she understood that the business of others ought to be the business of mine. Because it could be you. It could be your son or your daughter one day. That, that I've never heard that quote or statement before, but it's so powerful. And um, I believe it is a true testament 
to the work that you do. Because whether we want to admit it or not, and just like you said with Emmett Till's mom, it wasn't a big concern for her or wasn't a big thought for her until it happened to her. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times many of us are that same way, even when it comes to other issues that plague um, more so predominantly Black, African-Americans and people of color doesn't mean that that is it's all encompassing and that's what we see but we we're talking about homeless homelessness as well and mm-hmm. you know most people we're guilty of it we don't think twice about it unless mm-hmm. we're directly impacted by it in some way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's when mm-hmm. we become active so talk to us a little bit about how you started this work with more specifically working with the homeless and getting out there and serving because the reality is not a lot of people will step up to do what you do, at least not in that way, right? And so talk to us Mm -hmm. a little bit more about how you got started with Brown brown Bag Ladies. I don't know why I'm so tongue-tied today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also just talk to us about the work that you do because I, I feel like it's super important to bring a greater level of awareness and show yes these are black women and black men who are being you know doing these selfless acts and getting out there even in the midst of a global pandemic mm-hmm. yeah for sure at risk you're putting your health at risk but you have a mission to serve so talk to us about that mission and how you got started and what exactly you guys do for sure for sure um well, the Brown Bag Lady organization was founded by this beautiful lady named Jacqueline Norvell, who I affectionately call my Aunt Jackie. She started the organization six years ago, and I stumbled upon the Brown Bag Lady organization last year when I was asked to volunteer with them for my birthday in August. And when I got there, literally, it was like, it was the most beautiful thing because you saw all of these people just smiling, loving each other, sorting all of these clothes. And it was a lot of clothes, like <laughs> a lot of clothes, shoes and everything. When we got to Skid Row, we caravan down there and they set up on this corner and had so much food, coffee, donuts, clothes for men and women. They were even giving away free haircuts. And I knew then that, you know what? This is a real organization. Like they're really out here doing the work. And just seeing Jacqueline Norvell and her team out there hugging on the homeless people, knowing them by name. They knew her name. She knew their name, you know, and showing so much love that you could tell it wasn't for show, you know, because energy, energy doesn't lie. You could tell that it was a genuine exchange. And from that moment in August, I fell in love and I was like, you know what? I want to find a way that I can be a part of this, not just this one time, but something like long-term ongoing. And thankfully they, uh, they brought me on and, and I've been able to go out and volunteer with them. And you're absolutely correct. During the pandemic, during COVID, a lot of organizations, they, they just stopped serving. And I guess I could, I could somewhat understand because, you know, there were curfews set in place and there were, you know, precautionary measures that you had to take, you know, such as, we're used to just going out in our, in our casual clothes and hugging people, talking to them and all those different things. But we can do that. We had to wear a hazmat suit from our head to our toe that was completely covered, uh, a mask and goggles and gloves and everything like that. And then we had to announce, hey, guys, we love you. But today, you know, until this pandemic is over, we can't hug you. You don't want to go and tell people that, like, oh, my God, don't touch me because there's a pandemic, you know? And so those were different things that we had to do, that we had to adapt to. But they totally understood because you don't want to continue to spread the virus. And and we totally understand the measures of the virus, you know? Um, But it was was different, but, but we did it. We went out every day for two weeks straight. And then... From there, we started going out a few weeks and or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you know. They get real food. Now, I'm vegan, but unjacking the thing, they're not vegan. <laughs> so, you know, they get real food. Like, we went out this week, honey. They had some smoked 
barbecue chicken, rice, black beans, corn, peach cobbler. And I did make the peach cobbler and it was my vegan, but that's neither here nor there. You know, they got clothes and socks and backpacks. And it's just so beautiful that it's like, why would you not want to be a part of that? Mm-hmm. You know, and seeing their smiles light up and, and, you know, we have some people, you know, we give out tents and blankets and things like, like that. And there's this one gentleman who lives under a bridge that we frequent. And to this day, he will not take a tent. And he says that he doesn't need it because he's directly under the bridge. So he won't get rained on. And he tells us, you know, what, like, keep it because someone else may, may need that. And when, when we go out to service, really like a gut check, it's a heart check. Like here it is. These people are less fortunate right than us but they're teaching us how to show love they're teaching us how to be considerate they're teaching us how to be how to show gratitude and how to be so grateful even in a time as this right and so i absolutely adore working with the brown bag lady organization and we're gonna keep rocking until the wheels fall off and even when the wheels do fall off baby we're gonna pick it up and we're gonna keep walking okay That is the strength of women, people of color. Like we just figure it out. And I love hearing these stories and especially with the gentleman under the bridge, because yeah. you're right. We, we, they can teach us so much, you know, mm-hmm. we think that we have to have so much and it's, it's astonishing to see what people do with so little. Yeah, I definitely peeped the uh, peach cobbler. I saw that on <laughs> they're not just giving um lunch me sandwiches out here they are doing the real deal so i know they get the real deal I they get the they get the real deal so and 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 you know when she started the organization she gave them sandwiches in a brown bag because that's all they could afford at the time that's all they could do hence the name brown bag lady and so from that time she's just added and uh they still get the brown bags because that's our staple but then they get a slew of other stuff, honey. They be like, oh, we got food for a whole week. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel like, um, if at all, you said yeah. about them being aware, like, you know, that we're in the era, the COVID era, era but how much awareness do they have about what's really going on, especially with the protests going on. And we know a lot of times those those types of things, the protests are taking place right in the downtown area, which is also, you know, heavily populated with the homeless community. And so how are they navigating and, and working through that and making sure that they're still protected during this time? Um, well, you know, they're just, they're doing the best they can. They do still get information. You know, word passes a lot. And um, they're just, they're just adjusting as it comes, you know? So for instance, when the COVID hit, there was a, a, a location that we used to frequent a lot and it was gated because it was a, uh, a community place. And so they had to migrate to a nearby park. The same thing with the protests, you know, if they're not able to be out where they normally are because of all the slew of people, then they just migrate to a different area and just take it as it as it goes, you know. Um, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate, but it's just what happens. Okay, I was like, maybe they just want to see you because the camera was like, no, <laughs> we're not going back home. We just gonna let Ebony run this show. Hilarious. I love it. Um. <laughs> God, I'm just so in awe of you, Ebony, honestly. And it and maybe it shouldn't be that way. Like we this isn't, I guess, the norm that we experience, right? But it should be. You know, I'm looking mm-hmm. at the comments from our viewers and they are just applauding you for the work that you Aww. do for your heart. And it's very evident that the work that you do means a tremendous amount to you. It means a great deal Mm -hmm. to you. So how has um, this current social unrest and disruption and even COVID-19 impacted you as a leader, an artist, and an entrepreneur? What what does that look like for you right now? Yeah, it's... um... 
it's it's been a little challenging uh still you know a blessed time I, I don't have any complaints but it has been a little challenging because with the virus the cigar lounges closed down you know i have a cigar company Mayayo cigars and so you know the cigar lounges are closed so people aren't able to uh purchase and, and smoke cigars as much as they normally do thankfully they are sold online so people still buy online and we ship nationwide but then filming wise because i act too all film sets are shut down and um there's there's no filming going on and we don't really know when that's going to be able to start because there's no way you can stay six feet apart and still do a scene together uh, on the same with the same camera view you know and then you know with with the work that we do with the community there were curfews put into place and even still currently especially with the social unrest and the protesting and the looting and rioting and things such as that uh, we had curfews set in, set in place in LA, mm -hmm. and some were very early, such as 4 p.m., and we normally go out to feed around 7.30, 8 p.m., but with a 4 p.m. curfew, uh, yeah, you can't so go out to feed. <laughs> how's that been working? Because I did see um, on your Instagram account this week, or maybe it was Brown Bag Ladies, and mm -hmm there was a post about you all trying to hurry up and get all of the food packaged and packed up and ready to go because of the curfew that was put in place and you having to shift and adjust your time. Like, what does it take us behind the scenes? What does that look like? How do you make those adjustments and were you still able to serve everyone that you normally do? And yeah, yeah. With, with the curfew set into place, you know, you hear me? Yeah, so it froze for a okay, minute. Okay, <laughs> great. Phenomenal. Great. So, yeah, with the curfews that were set into place, we normally go out to feed around 7 30, 8 o'clock at night because we have to wait until uh, the sun sets and they put their tents up and, you know, they're back at their tents and everything like that. But that post that you saw earlier this week of, of us and the team really hustling to get it to get it done, uh, it, it was inconvenient, but we got it done. That just meant we had to wake up earlier. We had to use a couple more stoves uh, and ovens than what we normally do, call in a few more hands uh, and move a little faster. We can be really listening to music and jamming and having a good old time like, like we normally do. We had to hustle a little bit um, to, to beat that curfew. One minute it was, you know, 6 p.m. and then it went to 5 p.m. and then it went back and so um we didn't get to feed as much as we normally fed we still fed over 100 people which was amazing but if we had more time to cook we, we would have fed a little bit more um but we went out and they were grateful to see that we were there because of the curfew they thought that we weren't going to come and so that was really rewarding when they're like oh hey brown bag lady <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I love that even in the face of all of that, you all still find a way to show up and serve. And that's much about what we're talking about today, right? Is that things are not going to always be perfect. There are going to be super uncomfortable moments. There are going to be adjustments that need to be made. But even with all those things, you still got to show up because there's somebody that's waiting on you, somebody that needs mm -hmm. what you have. So this is so poignant for a lot of reasons. Look, the audience is getting ahead of us. They got some questions <laughs> for you. But we'll wrap this up with this part of it. I do want to ask you, like, what's the next step for Ebony, the activist? Hmm. <laughs> um, you know, aside from aside from the work that we do with Brown Bag Lady and fighting homeless homelessness in LA. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm working on something else. I can't announce it prematurely just yet, but, um, preferably it'll be ready by the end of the month, definitely the beginning of July. And we just want to, I, I would like to continue to bring awareness, continue to utilize my voice, whether that's through the films that I make, whether, whether that's through spoken word that I do, um, and of course, you know, causes that I donate to. Um, that's what you can see, more, more films, more spoken word pieces, 
um, and and getting behind more organizations and people such as Sean King and the Grassroots Law, um, which if you don't know who that is, if you don't follow them, you should totally check it out. You know, Black Lives Matter, um, BLD Power in LA and things like that, just supporting those brands more and bringing more awareness to those brands. I love it. I love it. And we thank you. All of us thank you for showing up and serving in such incredible ways, right? Because it could be a family, it could be a family member, it could be a neighbor, it could be a loved one um, that may need those services. And so to have people like you and the people that you work with who are actually out on the front lines, whether it's feeding the homeless on Skid Row or on the front lines protesting and raising heck and your voice to create more awareness that's going to lead to change. It's all important work. Um, what was the, the energy or environment like? Because I know maybe just before you all left to go or around that time earlier today, there was an announcement about the upgrades and charges against um, the first police officer that they arrested, in addition to arresting the other three officers and charging them with some pretty serious crimes. Did you feel like maybe that contributed to the energy being a little different and more peaceful today when you guys were protesting? I I certainly believe that that had something to do with it for sure. Um, I, I certainly believe that was that was a good announcement to hear before going out. And now we're just waiting, not just to hear about the charges, but for a conviction. Yes. <laughs> uh, but mm -hmm. I, I do think that that, that contributed. The energy was, was so peaceful. There was so much love out there uh, from all walks of life, all different kinds of people. So I, that was a great announcement to, to go out to for sure. Yeah. But we still want a conviction. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is just the first step. We, we've got a lot. Yes. Yeah. You know, we don't want history to repeat itself. So I agree. Like it, it's a it's a small win, but it's a step in the right direction. For sure. Um, I expect that there will continue to be people getting out there, raising their voice like it's it's not over. This is important work and there's so much more work that needs to be done. Can you share with our viewers some of the other ways that they can get involved? Lots of people want to help. They want to get involved. You talked about Sean King and his grassroots movement. Are there any other organizations or um, ways that our viewers can get involved in this fight to make sure that this does not happen anymore? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I talked about a few ways earlier. Definitely follow Sean King and grassroots law. They uh, not only fight against working um, in L.A. or police brutality, but they fight across the board um, for our people. So definitely follow them. Uh, Black Lives Matter, like I said, uh, B-O-D-P-W-R. You can follow them. They have, as one of the organizations, I get a lot of information from uh, places to donate is George Floyd's his, uh, memorial fund, uh, Black Lives Matter. You can donate. Um, to the uh, chapters in, in your area, wherever you're located, and you want to vote. That's like a, a huge way to get people out of office who do not need to be in office. Yeah. You know, uh, write letters to the Minneapolis Police Department, uh, send them email, mail in the letters. Uh, if you're in LA or Atlanta, wherever there has been, um, you know, police brutality in your area, in your city, you know, you, you don't have to be as big as LA, you could be a small town such as like Danville, the small town I'm from, you know, but write your local police department and urge them to hold their police accountable, to educate their police um, and, 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 and your local government as well as the government of this, of this nation. Yes, very well put. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so you just mentioned that you're from a little tiny place called Danville, Virginia, and we need to talk about how you got to LA, but before we can talk about how you got to LA, I want our viewers to know, um, who Ebony was from birth to pre-adolescent. Let's talk about your journey, uh, to becoming Ebony in Mayo, the actress the filmmaker, 
the entrepreneur, the activist, and the creator of Mayayo Cigars. Who was she before? Um, yeah, so this is one of my favorite stories to tell. Uh, if you know me, then I'm sure you may have heard this story already, but when I was born, my umbilical cord was wrapped around my throat. And so it cut my oxygen off. And the doctors thought that I would die at birth. And clearly I didn't because I'm still here. But it did cause some issues later on uh, down the road as I began to matriculate through, uh, you know, being a toddler and infancy going into adolescence, my parents realized that I was extremely intelligent, but I, I could not formulate my words to speak. And so I had, we found out I had a speech impediment where I would stutter or I would speak gibberish. I could not do consonant blends. So I would say ox and ooze instead of socks and shoes. And um, they hired the best of the best in speech therapists. I took speech classes. I was in all of the academically gifted uh, programs. So I was in all advanced classes. I just couldn't really formulate my tongue uh, to, to say what was coming to my, to my head. My, my brain was moving a lot faster than my tongue. And one day I was going into the sixth grade and I'm a believer. I grew up in a, in a Christian household and um, we were in church uh, on a Monday night and I was praying. And literally that night that I accepted Christ into my life, I spoke English for the first time. A miracle literally happened. Um, I, some of my family is on this. Um, I believe I saw my aunt Pam. Uh, some of my family is on here, so they could put in the comments if I'm lying. <laughs> but um, and so from that night, I accepted Christ into my life, and I've been able to speak clearly every ever since then. And I didn't know as a child, you know, you just think that you feel sad. You don't know that you're battling with depression. You just know that you don't want to live any longer. You don't know that's a suicidal ideation. And so. I grew up and I went to college and I became a counselor so that I could help people who battled with suicidal ideations and depression uh, as I did as a kid, not understanding what are these negative feelings that I'm feeling um, and with identifying that. So I, I did trauma counseling for a while all before I became an actress and entrepreneur. Wow. Wow. What? A couple things. What was that experience like for you in that moment where, like you said, you were essentially unable to speak? And when you did speak, it wasn't something that um, could be understood. So there was that frustration that comes with that. What was the depression that you were feeling as a child? Do you feel like it was directly related to that because you were, you know, what, what was that for you? What was that depression was it as a result of the challenges that you were having? And then what was that moment like for you where you accepted Christ into your life and literally minutes before that you weren't able to speak, but then after that you were? Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the depression was directly related to my speech impediment. I grew up um, in an amazing household. I have an amazing family. Um, and so, uh, my life was, my life was great. My life was good. And I just couldn't really talk. <laughs> and there were moments where I, I could talk and then I would get excited. So then I would start stuttering and, and speaking gibberish and then get frustrated because I know exactly what I'm saying. I just can't formulate my tongue to say it to you. That is very frustrating. <laughs> and so, um, that moment prior, uh, you know, I had been, I, I would pray every night and I would say, Lord, touch my mommy, touch my daddy, touch my brothers and uh, keep us safe and help me to be able to talk right. I love you in Jesus name. Amen. You know, and you pray that night in and night out, you know, and I grew up old, old school Pentecostal. So we had this thing where we would pray at the altar, you know, and all those kind of things. And, and every Monday night and, and I went and I did that. And I did that. I did that. You know, you believe, you believe, you believe and nothing happens. 
And as a child, it's like, what is this? You know? And one night I, I just really honed in. I just really focused and I said, you know what? I'm going to talk tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to not only talk, but I'm going to be filled with, with, uh, with the Holy Spirit tonight. And I remember seeing this image of Jesus of what I perceived Jesus to be to me at that time. And I knew that if I could just get to him and touch him, that everything would be okay. Like that's when it would happen. And so I took on running in my mind, you know, it was like this daydream. And then I got tired. So I started walking and then I got even more tired. So I started crawling because I was like, Eb, you just got to get to him. If you get to him, you got to be able to talk right. You know how kids think. And so literally when I got to him, I hugged him. I embraced him. And in my mind, that's what I saw. And that in that moment, the, the, the young lady, her name was Joan Tucker. I'll never forget that day. She was there praying beside me and she heard me speak, uh, you know, in tongues, uh, cause I, I believe in that. And she also heard me then speak English and it kind of slaughtered her. So she called my mom and dad, my mom and dad, they just commented, they're watching right now. And so did my aunt Pam, Pamela, right? And so she called my parents up and they gave me the mic in front of the church and they asked me to uh, what just happened to me. And I told them I, I had just accepted Christ and I, you know, I had just, been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said it clear. So they wanted to make sure it wasn't like a one-time thing. So then they asked me, what was I wearing? And I said, I have on a pink shirt and blue jeans. And from there, I, I've been able to speak clearly. And that memory is etched in my mind because that's, it's an experience. It's a real experience. And, and no one could ever take that from me. Uh, we have video footage of, of me you know, not being able to speak and, and speak in gibberish and, and things like that as a child. And uh, my speech therapist to this day, uh, the young lady, the, the, the woman that I had back, back then, whenever she sees me, whenever I travel back to Virginia, she's always like, I remember you. And I remember And um, I remember you not being able to talk. And I remember that. And that's why I think it's so important that we remember where we come from and we remember those experiences that are, that are real to us because it keeps you grounded. It keeps you showing compassion. And uh, it keeps you utilizing your voice not just uh, for yourself, but for others, because I know what it is not to be able to talk. And so for me, understanding if, if George Floyd been on the ground and yelling out for his mother, not being able to uh, uh, breathe and not being able to talk, it wasn't, it wasn't that, uh, it wasn't that he couldn't, he was, there was something hindering him from being able to do that. And although these are two complete different situations, it's just when you've, when you've experienced something where you want to do something, but you just can't, it's a real experience. And um, I'm just grateful to God that, you know, he blessed me to be able to speak clearly now and speak English and, and bless me to be able to utilize my voice uh, for others, for myself and for things that I believe in. Wow. You really, I already knew you were special. Um, but being able to experience life through your eyes and through your voice is such a powerful experience. Um, I'm, I'm glad that mom and dad are here. I would love to hear from them, even in the comments, like what, what, what was that experience like for them as parents? Um, because we know we we want to protect our children, our babies from everything and anything that's going to bring them any type of hurt, harm, danger, pain, sadness. So mom and dad, if you can and you will, if you're up to it, no pressure. If not, we totally understand. But I'd love to, um, you know, hear in the comments and any other viewers will be able to see how they navigated through that Um 
when you were experiencing these feelings of sadness and just this heaviness and, and, um, you know, depression, do, do you feel like that also dissipated along at that same period when you accepted Christ and then had this, you know, renewed sense of being what, what was your journey to, um, fighting through those feelings of depression? Yeah, I I totally feel as though those feelings of sadness and those feelings of um, depression, you know, were rid of because that was the only reason why I, I was sad. As I mentioned, I had a, an amazing childhood um, and I had an amazing family, have an amazing family. And so, you know, when you, if you are a believer and when you do accept Christ into your life and you... Um, uh, you experience that you you experience that love and it's like it's like a love that you've never experienced and um there's so much light there's there's so much joy there's so much happiness that that comes with that and so after that experience um i i i did not have any more sadness i i didn't have any more depression because it was solely only related to being frustrated of knowing that I can talk, but I just can't talk, you know? Um, and so um, there's this little coin. My, one of my godmothers, Gwen Stevens, she calls me the peacemaker because I would go around to their homes and, um, and would help keep the peace, you know, when the siblings would be fighting or, or different things like that. And so I totally 1000% believe that after I accepted Christ, after the miracle happened, all feelings of sadness and depression, you know, were rid of because they were related to that. And what an incredible blessing and experience to not only trust God, but be patient and wait on God. Like you said, that, that process, you just kept saying, if I could just get to him, if I could just hold him, like if I could just, it's just like the woman in the Bible who says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, yeah. I will be yeah. healed. And that is so powerful. Um, I'm going to share your mom's comment. Thank you so much, Mrs. Mayo, for speaking up and sharing your experience. I'm sorry, I believe this is mom, right, Arlene? Yes, that's okay. my mommy. And I want our viewers to see this on screen because there's also, we have viewers that are not just tuning in from Facebook and YouTube, but they're also tuning in on Roku and Amazon Fire TV and Apple TV. And so I want them to see this as well. And mom says it's as a sense of helplessness where you're battling faith, but then faith wins. Faith won. It did. Faith won. And it faith won. The, the, the victory didn't just end with you speaking, right? We, we mm -hmm. look at where you are now and what you decided to do with your voice. So you talked a little bit, you mentioned, mentioned it briefly about going to school and getting your degree and becoming a therapist. Talk to us a little bit about your work as a therapist and who you work with and what that experience was like for you. Yeah, so I still lived in Virginia at that time, and I worked all along Southern Virginia, so Lynchburg, Roanoke, Bedford, Danville, Martinsville, all along that, that region. And I worked primarily with women and children. And uh, every now and again, I would get a few males, but I worked on the far end of the spectrum. So with trauma, when you're dealing as a mental health support worker and working with trauma victims, you know, they have at least three different diagnoses and they've been through several counselors. And, you know, you still have to remember that this is Virginia. And it, it is a very, uh, uh, it, it has a, a long history of, you know, racism and things of that. And so here it is, this little black girl straight from college coming in to tell you how to raise your children. <laughs> and so um, initially I was met with a lot of apprehension, a lot of apprehension. And um, after a few weeks in, you know, they found out that not only am I equipped and competent to to do this job, but I genuinely care about you and your family, regardless of the color of your skin, 
or your socioeconomic status. And so to this day, um, most of them uh, have still find a way to keep in touch with me and um, they are still alive, you know, because a lot of them either had suicidal ideations or um, attempted violence on others or, uh, you know, struggle with bipolarism and dissociative identity disorder and um, manic depression and, you know, the list goes on. And so to see uh, someone who maybe didn't want to graduate high school and didn't want to go to college and didn't want to be alive and to see them, you know, graduated from college and going out into the workforce, it's a beautiful thing. It's so rewarding. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine and you get to see the fruits of your work and your labor manifested in the people that you know you've been called to serve. Students and young people are not the only group of people that you have used the power of your voice to empower. There's another demographic. Let's talk about these folks. That is women who smoke cigars. <laughs> Let's get into Mayayo cigars. How you got started? What is your love with um, cigars? And what's the perception? Like, I know you've had to break some perceptions. Let's talk about what those perceptions and, and uh, ideas about being a woman, a woman of color, and a believer, a Christian, who not only smokes cigars, but has her own cigar brand. Talk to us, Ed, what's up? Honey, chow. <laughs> yeah, I know, you know, I've, I, I've, um, I've been smoking cigars for years and my company, Mayayo Cigars, it's a new company. We're, we're only a couple months old and um, it's, 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 it's a beautiful thing, honestly, you know, to be blazing a trail you know, the cigar world is a very male dominant world. It's a very exclusive, you know, almost invite only, uh, perceived as invite only culture and a very affluent cu culture that is, and a very uh, older culture. And so being a young black female who not only smokes cigars, but also owns her own line, I was met with a lot of, um, you know, pushback and still am to this day, you know, because it's either I don't know enough about cigars to have my own line or I'm not old enough and have not been smoking long enough to be able to know what is good and, and what is not good or, um, you know, I'm just simply not a man. You know, however, the culture now has become more welcoming for women to smoke cigars, um, and, and we're seeing way more women to smoke cigars. There's not, uh, I haven't seen many female owners, especially not many young African-American female owners of their own lines, but it's certainly becoming way more uh, conducive for women to feel comfortable. And that's part of my brand. My, my brand is all about merging the world of cigar aficionados and cigar newcomers, uh, male cigar lovers, as well as female cigar lovers, where they can feel comfortable to be in their own element. And whatever that means, if I want to walk in with my natural curls instead of my hair pressed out or instead of some long, flowy wig, I should feel comfortable and beautiful enough to walk in there, grab a stick, maybe grab a whiskey or a scotch and, and, and puff my cigar and not feel as though I do not belong. Okay. And I think that is very important. And that's what we do. You know, that if you don't know how to smoke a cigar, it's okay, baby. We'll teach you, you know, <laughs> it's okay. And you, and you won't feel dumb about it, but that's, and that's, and that was the perceived notion and has been for many years is that, Oh no, you know, if you don't know, you don't go in there and, you know, it's not a thing for the novices, but it's okay. Because at one point, it, in order for you to be an, a cigar aficionado, you had to first start. Mm -hmm. You had to smoke a cigar first. You, you weren't a novice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's incredible to hear how you took something that you enjoy, you know, you're passionate about. And because the reality is, let's face it, you could have just continued smoking cigars, but you saw um, something that was missing and broken within this culture. And 
like Ebony always does, finding a way to give a voice to those who don't seem to have a voice or are not heard enough in a specific area. You took it a step further to create your own brand. And it's, it's incredible. I'm not a cigar smoker, but I love looking at your promo video for your launch event. Thank it was you. amazing because it truly was an experience. And so do you still get a lot of pushback? Like what, what's the journey looking like for you now? And then where are you going to take this brand to? Yeah, no, I get a lot of love. I, I get a lot of love, a lot of support. You know, you have your occasional stragglers here and there who just has to say something, but who cares? We don't pay them any mind. But overall, I get so much love. And especially when they find out that, you know, I can, I can, I can smoke with them and, and I can drink with them. I can hold my own. And so they, they kind of have a little bit more respect for you, especially, you know, when you walk in and your head is held up high, you're confident, and you're good. You know, you're smoking, the cigar you're smoking, sir, you don't own. What I'm smoking, I own, baby. We're not, we're not the same. And, and I say that, and if anybody knows me, they know I say that. <laughs> that's, not, that's not an exaggeration. And then, you know, it. they put a little respect on your name, okay? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, you know, the cigar world is very, predominantly um, a lot of a lot of smokers they enjoy Cuban cigars and so you always get hit with a well, I only smoke Cuban and so I like to tell them well that's a shame because you're clearly not an aficionado if you only smoke Cubans because everyone knows that's just for hype mm. and then they kind of give me a side eye like well what you smoking and then the conversation goes from there you know and life is all good after that I love you know? it and then we continue to meet up and smoke cigars and you know they'll be like well you know what let me order some of yours or let me try one of yours or let me add yours to my humidor to age you know it's it's a beautiful thing so i've been hit with more more love than not for sure i love it i love it we could go on and on and continue to talk because you obviously have such an incredible journey and story and i would love to share more of your brilliance with our audience um, but we have a time limit. So tell the viewers where they can find you, where they can purchase your incredible uh, cigars. And I even saw someone say, where's the lounge at? Where's the cigar lounge? Because they need to know. So let the people know where you can be found online and how they can support the brown bag ladies, as well as your career as an artist, an activist and an entrepreneur. Awesome. So everyone, I am Ebony and Mayo, and I can be found on all platforms at Ebony in Mayo. That's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, you name it, you can find me there. My cigars are called Mayayo Cigars. That's M-A-Y-I-O Cigars. And you can go to our Instagram page or my website, www.mayayocigars.com to find more information about us and to place your order. We do ship nationwide. And Brown Bag Lady, uh, the homeless organization that Jacqueline Norvell runs, you can find us at brownbaglady underscore on Instagram and www.brownbaglady.org online to find more information to donate to us and to sign up to volunteer. And um, I love y'all. I, I believe that was it. Yes, you did incredible. Ebony, thank you again so much for rearranging your schedule, for rushing back for this live episode after just coming off the heels of being on the front lines yet again and protesting. We so appreciate you. I thank you, Queen. I thoroughly enjoyed you and I know that our audience did too. All right, guys, give it up for Ebony. Make sure you follow her, leave some comments because she'll be able to come back and check them out. And until next time, keep elevating, shining, and using your voice for good. We'll see you on the next episode of Beauty Behind the Brand Live. Bye. Bye.